we're going to talk about baptism, but mostly about Lord's Supper. We have as Baptists. Now, you may not realize you're in a Baptist church. Some people don't realize, even though all the time we say, hey, we're First Baptist, people say, I didn't realize you were a Baptist church. I know it's hard to figure that out when we say we're First Baptist, but that's okay. You know, we do things sometimes differently than a lot of Baptist churches. I realize that. But um, we have two what we call ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. This past Sunday, we had baptism. We baptized 10. Uh, I, I, I did them. I wasn't preaching, so I, I don't do baptisms very often. And Sunday was a reminder why I don't do them very often. We had some big old boys uh, doing them. And I just like to baptize the little ones because they're easy. The big guys are hard. You know, and if I was afraid I'm going to drop them, you know, in there, they'll still be baptized, but they'll just be an embarrassing thing. But I have done it. You know, I have a very simple philosophy. You may go down and you may go under. I ain't going with you. But, you know, I only have to put you under. How I get you back out is not near as important. But we had 10 of those. We're having baptisms again on Epic Sunday. Epic Sunday is the 22nd of October. Uh, that's when we have our big, you know, huge day here, a big church picnic. And we have an outdoor baptism. It's phenomenal. You know, if you, want to, if you need to get baptized, you need to give your life to Jesus, whatever, contact the office, Joe, you know, whoever. And they'll take care of it. And contact me, and I'll tell you, contact Joe, whoever, and they'll take care of all that for you. Baptism is a picture. What we do in baptism and Lord's Supper, for us, they're symbolic. They're pictures. They're pictures of our relationship with Jesus. That's what they are. They don't do, we, we don't believe they do anything because the scriptures don't, the New Testament doesn't tell us they do anything. And so we baptize, it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And what it is, it's a picture of our salvation. Because we died in sin. And, we, and, and that old nature is buried, and we have, we have this new life in Christ. And it pictures that. And it, it identifies us with Jesus. It connects us with Jesus. For most of Christian history, baptism is, it is the way we proclaim our faith. It is the profession, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so, you know, when I baptize someone, if you're here Sunday, you know, what I said is, upon your, something like this, upon your proclamation that Jesus is Lord or upon your profession of following Jesus in obedience to him, I baptize you now as my brother or sister in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I put them in the water, brought them back out. That's what baptism is. It's not sprinkling. It's immersion. You put them under. You pull them out. It's a violent act. People comment. My staff does this and others comment. Man, when you baptize them, it's quick. It's like violent. I said, yeah, it's a violent term. It's, it's, I, don't, I don't do it that way on purpose. It's not because it's a violent term. It's just I want to get it up with, you know, get them in and get them out. Because I put them under too long, bad things happen, bring them back out. But it's, it's the act of going under, and it symbolizes that life. We do it one time as a believer. We practice believers' baptism. If you were baptized as an infant, whether Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, whatever, that's your, that's your spiritual journey, but understand, we believe that the New Testament clearly indicates and teaches that baptism is by immersion for those who are followers of Jesus who have committed their life to Christ. That's what we practice. That's what we preach to be an actual member of our church. You have to be baptized that way. It's a one-time thing. I don't want to keep baptizing you over and over. We don't need to. But once we become a person who's been baptized. Then what do we do? Well, we have another ordinance, another thing. Some of you come from backgrounds where they're called sacraments. You know, really, we call them ordinances because we're Baptists, and, you know, and we don't want the idea that we're something else, so we don't call them sacraments. Sacraments carry the idea that there's some dispensation of grace given or some dispersion of grace. And you know, sometimes I slip and call it a sacrament. I don't know why I just do it, but it's an ordinance. 
problem with calling it an ordinance is ordinance also has the idea of firearms, like we're going to fire something off, and sometimes that gets confusing to people. But it is an act, a memorial comes from Jesus. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell of Jesus on the night of his betrayal being with his, his 12 guys. And Judas is one of them, and Judas goes and leaves. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us the particulars of what we call communion of the Lord's Supper. John really doesn't, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke does. But really, usually, in a little bit, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians in a few moments. It is from 1 Corinthians 11 that we really get our understanding or the kind of more the theology of what the Lord's Supper communion is. Now, there, there, there are a lot of different ways people view this. And so I want to take some time before we get, before you know, I read the passage and before we do it. Because a lot of you come from different traditions. And Lord's Supper, communion, what we call it, the Eucharist, some call it Eucharist, Catholic tradition, some call it Mass. It can mean different things to different groups. And so I'm going to give you the four basic views of how people look at things. In the Gospels, Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, eat, drink. And you've got to decide whether, is he saying this literally is his body, literally is his blood, you know, remembrance of me, what does it mean? Is it symbolic? What, what all happens? One of the major views, if you come from a Catholic background, Catholic Catholicism to this day has a view that technically we call transubstantiation. It's a big fancy technical term. You don't need to know it, but it means that the elements, in that case the bread and the wine, because they use wine, at some point become, literally, they transform into the actual body and blood of Jesus. Now, they don't take the form of the body and blood, it's, uh, it, it, but it becomes the body and blood. If you look at it, it's still bread, still wine. If you know, you take it, you die, they do an autopsy, it was bread and wine, There's not, it's not the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, you know, some of us think, well, that's absurd, but it, it comes from, you know, the philosophy of Aristotle that goes back to Greek times. Aristotle heavily influenced certain aspects of Christianity and certain parts of Catholicism. And, and, and without going into detail, it's just that it becomes the body and blood, but it doesn't take the form. But it's the literal body, literal blood. Now, to Catholics, it is a dispensation of grace. It is a sacrament. The idea of a sacrament, it is something that dispenses actual grace in your life. And Catholics have multiple, they have seven sacraments that are dispensers of grace. And it is a sacrament that has to be administered by an actual priest. We call that being sacerdotal. In other words, a priest has to offer the sacrament or it's null and void. So this is what Catholicism has believed for centuries. Well, in the Reformation, when Luther rebelled against Catholicism, and all of the Reformers, they began to rebel against that concept. And so the other three views of the communion kind of come out of the Reformation period. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli kind of did that. Luther, who did not really start Lutheranism, but, but he is, you know, they're the ones he points to. And so from the Luther, Lutheran tradition and for that matter, the Anglican, or what we would call the Episcopal tradition, believes in something called consubstantiation. In other words, the elements don't transform into Jesus' body and blood, but the body and blood is in a real significant way with the elements, so that it is said that the body and blood of Jesus is in, under, and with the elements. In other words, Jesus is there in the elements. There's the real presence. It also becomes a way of giving grace. Well, also at that time, Calvin and the Reformers came around, and they had, and without going to all the history, who gets credit for it, they have a view, which you see in Presbyterianism, 
and most of the Reformed traditions today, that it is spiritual. There's a spiritual presence. In other words, obviously it doesn't turn into the body and blood of Jesus, but Jesus is actually present when you take the elements. So there's the, there, there is that sense in a spiritual way he's present. He's present spiritually, and there is spiritual significance to taking the body, taking the elements. Well, Zwingli came with the tradition. He was part of the Reformed tradition, but he had a view that basically we adopt, and we believe. It is part of the Baptist. If you come from a Baptist background, a Bible background, any kind of what we call low church background, uh, where there's not a lot of ritual and all that, we believe in the symbolic essence of it. That when Jesus said, this is my body and blood, it was symbolic. When he said, take and eat of it, he's saying, eat of this, and you, when you take of the elements, you're in essence. And you're in essence participating with me. It's a participation with him symbolically. He's not present with us any more than he is at baptism or any more than any worship service. Jesus is either present or he's not. Taking the wafer, which is packaged by a manufactured company somewhere, and tastes absolutely horrible, and putting it in a little, nowadays we use these little chalices like this, and then putting, as Baptist, grape juice, because we're never going to use wine, because, of course, Jesus didn't mean it when he said wine. He was just kidding. <laughs> you know, putting that in there, some cheap, really cheap knockoff grape juice, and packaging it also, and doing that, even if you do it the old-fashioned way, and you go get the Welch's grape juice, I guarantee you the people at Welch's weren't thinking, you know what, man, we can put this in there. Some Baptists are going to have it, and Jesus is going to be there. Hallelujah. They didn't do that. Nothing magical or mystical happens. In just a minute, I'm going to give you the significance of it. But we do not believe, we reject the idea that when we take the elements, we receive grace. Some of our brothers, Methodists do this, they think there's a reception of grace and all that. If in taking the elements of the Lord's Supper, you receive the grace of God, grace ceases to be grace. Grace is the undeserved, unmerited, Kindly disposition of favor of God. It's something you cannot earn. If I get grace simply by taking the elements, regardless of, you know, what I say, well, you got to be spiritually right. You've got you to be prayed up and free of you, whatever. I have obligated God to do something on my behalf. Now, the elements can be deeply spiritual. There can be some moving moments but it doesn't do anything. We believe that anyone can give the Lord's Supper to anyone else. What we believe is this, that the right of communion, the right of the Lord's Supper, belongs to the church. Now, most Christians believe this. Most Christian denominations believe it belongs to the church. All of them do that. But we take it differently. When we say it belongs to the church, we believe the individual church. First Baptist Church gets to determine how First Baptist Church administers, does communion. It's up to us. Now, historically, Baptists have believed a couple of things. We, we all tend to believe that if you're going to take the elements, you need to be saved. I mean, it's not, it's not meant for lost people. Whenever, I know whenever we do it, especially on Sunday mornings, we'll get it. Plenty of people come who are not followers of Christ, and I know they take the elements. We don't police it. I've been, I know churches. Then the old days, man, they pull it from you. You know, they, they do all that. We're not, we're not going to do all that. It's kind of on an honor system. If you're lost, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you take the Lord's Supper, you're not going to be any more lost than you were beforehand. 
you're still just lost. We try to make it clear as for believers. We believe as people should be baptized by immersion. But if you're not, if you come here and you've never been baptized by immersion, but you're a believer in Jesus and you want to take it, all right, that's, that's between you and Jesus. Some Baptist churches have a closed system. This is not common anymore, but normally it's really, really small Baptist churches because they believe only their members can take it. Some believe you have to be a Baptist, a Southern Baptist, and so it's semi-closed. And some are open that any, anyone who is a believer and baptized can do it. That's kind of where we are. We kinda, we're kind of like this, and you need to be a follower of Christ, preferably immersed, but regardless, be a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we encourage you not to take it. This is the way it is. Now, you know, who can give it? Well, in our church... The responsibility of that decision kind of comes to me. So I'm the one who usually does it. Joe's done it before. But technically, a church can have anyone do it. I mean, we, we, listen, women can do it. I know that sounds sacrilegious. I know the Southern Baptist Convention lately hear me say that might get all upset with me and kick me out. But there's, Jesus doesn't depend on me giving it to you for it to be good. All right? Now, our church, though, has decided that the decision about who does it is mine as a pastor. You've given that to me in the fact that I make decisions about worship and how we worship. And, and, and sometimes we have people say, like we had recently someone say, hey, um, can, I, I can't be at church. Can someone come give me the Lord's Supper privately? And the answer 90% of the time is going to be no, unless there's a reason you can't get to church. I mean, if, you will never, if, you're, if you're homebound, if you're in a nurse assisted living, and you will never, ever walk out of that place again to, to to go to church and worship, then occasionally someone may go, we may send the deacon over to do that for them because it's meaningful. But if you're just like, hey, you know, we had COVID. Remember we had COVID and people saying, hey, can we, can we get the elements privately and sent to us? The answer is no. Come here. If you can't come here, I don't know what to tell you. We ain't going to get it to you. We're not, we're not shipping the blood and body of Jesus all over Las Cruces. You know, what happens if the mailman drops it? No, that's a disaster. <laughs> we're not going to hand deliver it to you. So the answer is no. Because that's, our, because that's how we make the decision. It's, it is an act of corporate worship. And we come together. It's a public thing. It's a, it's a community thing for the church as a whole to do. So that's what it means. I can remember when um, I was pastoring Loretta, and uh, back then in our different associations came together, and we'd have this priest or retreat. It lasted Thursday night through Saturday, and so I didn't have a youth minister, so I said, I took our kids. And I remember it was, it was Friday night. They, they woke the kids up in the middle of the night, you know, and brought them into the tabernacle outside, you know, like trying to simulate what it was like to be, you know, persecuted and all that, which I thought was really stupid because you can't symbolize what it's like to be persecuted if you don't actually persecute. And then they did this. Then they, then they decided, then they had the giving of the Lord's Supper. And I knew most of the people in charge. So when it was over, I got, found where they all were, the leaders, and I tore into them like it was the last of anything. I said, what are you thinking? What are you doing? You can't do this. The Lord's Supper doesn't belong to you. It's not yours to decide. It belongs to the individual churches who sent their kids here. They have different beliefs. Some of these kids are lost. You gave the Lord's Supper to kids who were lost. Some churches are adamant about how it goes. 
You can't do that. The communion, the Lord's Supper, is for believers, for the church. It's ours. Now, sometimes I'll go to a conference held at a church, and they'll do it, and that's fine because we're at a church, and we don't have to participate. But this is not something that groups of people just do together. If your connect group wants to give the Lord's Supper sometimes, say, hey, can we do the Lord's Supper? The answer is no. You may do it, but not with our blessing, not with my blessing. And you do it, and I find out your connect group won't last much longer. It is not yours to do. It's a serious thing that belongs to us. In the church at Corinth, they were struggling. They were having some problems. And they were, they were having the Lord's Supper, and they would do it all the time. They'd do it like every week, but they were, they were having these meals, and the rich and the wealthy were getting there and powerful first, and they were getting drunk, and they were taking everything. And then there, everybody else would come, and there wasn't anything left, and it was a mess. So Paul had it sorted out. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. He says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. He said, I already taught you this. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he said this to them in verse 27. Wrote this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul said, According to Jesus, this is my body. The bread, the unleavened bread, which was taken to Passover, represents the body of Jesus who died in our place on our behalf. I make this clear all the time. He was our substitute and he was our sacrifice. I deserve to die for my sin. Only I should pay the price. But if I pay the price for my sin, I am condemned for eternity in hell. So Jesus paid that price. He gave his body in my place and on my behalf. And so when I partake of the Lord's Supper as a baptized follower of Jesus, I'm saying I proclaim that Jesus died for me in my place and I accept his substitutionary death for me. He is Lord. And then the cup, which is really, which holds the blood, holds the juice, holds the wine, but the cup symbolizes Whatever's in the cup is what the cup symbolizes. Here, it symbolizes the fact that the wrath of God requires and demands, the justice of God requires and demands that we shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. That is taught in the Old Testament. It is taught in the New Testament. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. Jesus says, when you drink this, you do so in remembrance of me. And so when I take of that juice, I am saying that the blood of Jesus covered my sin. And I accept that. And Jesus says, you do it in remembrance of me. It's a memorial. It's an act of worship. This is a moment of worship every time we take it. Paul says something else, though. He said, but when you take it, you proclaim his death until he comes. So it becomes an act of witness. The reason only a believer can take of the Lord's Supper is because we're the only ones who have accepted the death of Jesus. We're the only ones who have followed him, committed our life to him. 
So we're the ones who truly worship him. Lots of people show up on Sundays and worship. They attend worship, but they don't really worship unless they follow. But more than that, I'm proclaiming something. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can't proclaim and witness and give testimony to the fact that you have followed him as Savior. But I can. There were many times in the history of the church to this day that the persecutors of the church would find out where the church was meeting. And they would be meeting with the threat of persecution, eating the body, drinking the blood, proclaiming, I follow Christ with death at their door. It's important. So Paul says, and this gets confused all the time. You can't take it in a manner unworthy. People always debate this. What does it mean? I don't know. It means something to do with what Paul was talking about. None of us ultimately are worthy, but it means this. You said examine yourself. Examine your relationship with Jesus. Are you a follower? Are you where you need to be? Put it this way. Jesus shortly Actually, a few days before this, when asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, love God, love others. Are you in a place in your life where you love God and love others? You live that way. Examine yourself. You're not going to be perfect. That doesn't mean you have to say, okay, before I take the Lord's Supper, I need to ask forgiveness for all my sins, so God forgive me for all my sins so I can take this. It doesn't mean that. It means you need to have a relationship with Jesus that's real, and you need to have a relationship with other people that's real. If you're at odds with another person, if you're in conflict with another person, should you be taking it? Well, you need to go straighten that conflict out. But if you will just know that that's your commitment, you can take it and then later on go straighten it out. But you need to make the commitment, I'm going to fix that relationship. It's in a bad place. So I'm going to take the supper of the Lord as an act of worship and witness in a reminder that I need to go fix that relationship. You need to be where you need to be. That's why we say, if you're not a believer, you really shouldn't take it. And if you are a believer, you need to take it and celebrate it. Different people have different ideas how often you take it. Some think you should take it every week, whatever. As Baptists, our church kind of follows. We take it about five, six times a year. We don't want to take it so often that it loses its meaning symbolically, but we want to offer it enough. And sometimes we do it in the morning. I have people ask, why don't we always do it in the morning? Because a lot of times I want to do it at another, another hour. I want to do it on Wednesday nights. Some people come on Wednesdays that can come on Sundays. Sometimes we do it, you know, we do it right before our Easter, the, our pre-Easter service, we do it then. It seems like a good time to celebrate. We just do it whenever, knowing that we're celebrating Jesus. Hopefully you, before you came in, got one of these chalices. Well, I just dropped it on the floor. That's why I have two of them. <laughs> it's like, let's say. He died in my place. He died on my behalf. He took my sins. He made them his. He said, as often as you eat this, remember what you're doing. Remember the price that was paid. So, Father, for the body of Jesus, we give you thanks. Take it.
I don't always understand everything that I believe. I don't know if I've always fully understood why, God, there had to be bloodshed. He said there had to be. And I know all the doctrinal reasons, and I do that. But here's one I know. Jesus shed his blood so I wouldn't have to, to pay for my sins. And his blood covered my sins. And I may not fully understand it, but I fully accept it. It's okay sometimes not to always understand. But it's not okay not to accept. I tell you this because I am thankful that he gave his blood to cover my sins. And so I want to say, God, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Well, this week we've celebrated baptism, and we celebrated communion. We've been good Baptists. I think more than anything, we celebrate these as meaningful acts of worship. There's such joy at baptism of a new life. And a lot of times, though, when we take the Lord's Supper, there's a sense of more of reverence because we're thinking about our life and not following Jesus and what he did so we can be saved. And I hope that every time you take communion, that it is an act of witness and an act of worship in which you experience the fullness of Jesus every day of your life. God bless you. We're through.